To the home Bible study. Um, thank you for taking this time and uh, joining me in the study of the Word. I am excited to continue this study and hopefully the things that we've covered already have been a blessing to you. They certainly have been a blessing to me. Um, I really have enjoyed uh, the study and I I'm excited, like I said, to have people joining me. If you would notice in the description of the introduction, there is contact information. If you're joining along, uh, introduce yourself. Um, it's I'd like to know who's out there. I ask that you would uh, be praying for me and pray for the study, that it would be fruitful and that it would be a blessing to many. That is certainly my goal. So uh, let's get into it. The last time uh, we're studying Psalm 1, uh, the last time uh, we studied verse 1, and there was a lot to be gleaned from just that one verse. And so I want to do like a quick review just to make sure that we cover all our bases and everybody's kind of on the same page. So the outline, the original outline, verses 1 through 3 were titled The Roadmap to Joy. And so um, the last time we were introduced to the way to accomplish a state of joy. The psalm begins with blessed. That we're, we're not to do to experience joy. So we start off from the negative. I described it as the ABCs uh, along this pathway to enjoying a state of blessedness, a state of joy. Um, we saw the ABCs. A was walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. B, uh, we stand not in the way of sinners. C was we sit not in the seat of the scornful. So uh, walk speaks of a progress of life. To stand speaks of a destination of life. And to sit well, that's like your place of residence. People identify who you are by where you live. You know, that's where you live. That's where you sit. That's where you recline. That's your desk or your seat, you know. So that that's what it means to sit. So um, we also looked at the garden scene in Genesis. Um, and we saw that you know, the sad result of not following these ABCs. We looked at Adam and Eve and the introduction of sin into the world. And you can see a direct correlation. I'm hoping you were able to see that. The correlation between uh, not following these ABCs and, you know, the potential for very negative outcomes. So... 
as a sad result, it's the default condition of man. That's our ungodly uh, sinners. Uh, we take we take up a residence as scorners against God. That is unfortunately who we are. Um, that's who we are. That's who the world is. That's can not even. Nobody even gets upset about it. It's just the norm. Nobody even notices it. That's just kind of we're born into this world that way. Um, Romans 8, 7 says, Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So we see that, you know, that's our default status. Uh, we are at enmity against God. That's how we come into this world. So the logical question that we should ask ourselves is how is it that anyone could accomplish these ABCs? You know, if Adam and Eve failed and they were created in the image of God, how can we succeed who were created in the image of Adam already fallen? You know, what hope do we have to accomplish these ABCs? Well, the answer to that question, which is a very logical and sound question, the answer to that question is found in verse 2. So I'm going to read verse two, but his delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law doth he meditate day and night. So right away we see there's a contrast. There's been a sharp turn away from those ABCs in the negative, And now we're going to look at the, the positive side of that. But, you know, the temptation for me in studying this was to get right into the verse, particularly the part about delighting in the law of the Lord. Because obviously that's something that uh, communicates to me. Uh, that's why I'm doing this study, because I love studying the word of God. I love learning, and I know that there is no greater source of knowledge, of light, than the word of God. But I'm going to slow down a little bit. So I hope you would bear with me because we need to look at that word, but. There's a lot that that word uh, encapsulates. So let's, let's begin with that little word. You know, it's so easy to move past this word, but there's so, so much great significance in that word, but. Uh, I said before that Psalm 1 is the Genesis Psalm, right? It's the very first Psalm, and this section of the Psalm correlates very closely to the book of Genesis. So, in keeping with that theme, right, uh, I think we should look at it from that perspective. Uh, let's take just a brief look at how this word, but, has revealed some very deep 
in, in, in significant doctrines, particularly the sovereignty of God, the sovereign choice of God and how he has manifested his sovereign choice in this universe. So Genesis is also considered the book of election. There's a lot about the doctrine of election in the book of Genesis. Well, doc the doctrine of election is throughout the entire Bible, but it is highlighted in a way in the book of Genesis and repeated in a way that really um, sends home that um, truth. So, uh, but in and of itself is a word of contrast. It's a conjunction, and that means it ties words together, phrases, ideas, or thoughts. So let's see if we can, from this word but, tie a few things together. So in the book of Genesis, we see the beginnings. That's what Genesis means, the beginning. So we're introduced to some very fundamental truths. One of those fundamental truths is the law as it pertains to the firstborn. Now, Moses would, when he gave the law to the people, Moses is the one who wrote the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. So he will go into greater detail as to the specifics of this law and give a lot of clarity to it. But it was definitely in play during the Genesis account from the very beginning. And the law of the firstborn just means that the firstborn child will have a double portion of the inheritance from their father or mother. So when the father dies, everything that the father has obviously is divided up between uh, any children that they may have. But the firstborn gets the blessing. They get preeminence. They have the place of uh, leadership. They would take over in a, in a way after the the father passed away. So it's a, it's a place of honor. You know, and it was a law. It was understood throughout um, the book of Genesis that that was the case. And it, there's many scriptures that support that, but I'm, I'm not going to take a lot of time to go through all of those. Um, I hope to study Genesis, the entire book. And when we do that, if you're with me and we're, we actually accomplish that, then we'll go into greater detail. But there was this law of the firstborn where the firstborn child gets the blessing. Now, you know, back to that, the incident where sin entered the world, Adam and Eve, you know, sin is entered the world. They fall. Just like he said, in the day that you eat of it, you shall die. They experienced an immediate uh, death, which was a separation from God, a separation from the access, that place of joy in Eden, they now have to deal with a world that involves sin. So a consolation to Eve is that she was promised that they would be delivered from this judgment 
by a child that would be born from her. So the expectation of Eve was that, okay, you know, I want this child that delivered her to come right away. She wasn't looking for that child to come thousands of years from that point. She took God on his word to mean that, you know, that could be at any time, you know, it was in, imminent, you know, kind of like the way we look at the rapture now. It's, it's an imminent rapture. It could happen at any time. So that was the hope that she was given. And this hope would carry on through that entire race for years. I mean, it was the hope of every woman um, who had any type of godly hope that this deliverer will be born from her. And it became a reproach if you were barren. You know, that became a very negative thing as a result. Because if you had no children, I mean, you had no opportunity to bear this deliverer. So uh, Eve was definitely looking forward to that um, deliverer to come and to come through her. So in Genesis Chapter four, it says, and Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived. And just as a side note, that word for new, that means an intimate knowledge. You know, that's where babies come from. And it's the same kind of, it's the same word that God uses when he says to those who said, Lord, Lord, you know, I prophesied in your name. And we cast out demons and he says, depart from me, you evil workers. I never knew you. That's the word for new. He's like, I never had an intimate relationship with you. So I never have a saving intimate relationship. So uh, interesting side note. So uh, it says, Adam uh, and Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain a tiller of the ground. So she's excited. She got this, she says, I got a man uh, from the Lord. She was expecting that that was going to be that deliverer. Uh, it didn't quite work out that way. Uh, Cain was the firstborn, you know, with his birth came excitement. It came hope. Um, a lot of things. Uh, Cain should have been the one to get the blessing. But uh, we see that instead, Abel, the younger one, was the one that pleased God. He offered a better sacrifice uh, than Cain. And it resulted in, you know, most people know the story, Cain got very angry and why did he get angry? Because he walked in the way of ungodliness. He took a stand against the instruction of God and he offered plants, you know, instead of offering a bloody sacrifice, which was the rule, he decided he just offered some plants. Cain is an example of somebody who sat in the seat of the scornful and it led to him killing his brother. And this is the only result of sin. 
Sin, when fully matured, leads to death. That's it. There's no upside. It's only bad. And that's exactly what happened. You know, in Hebrews 9.22, it says, And almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood is no remission of sin. So Abel, it's going to have blood. Uh, Cain, the point of this is that there's a contrast. Cain, you would think, would be the one that was righteous, but it was actually Abel. Uh, another example in Genesis, uh, the twins, Jacob and Esau, right? Esau was born first with Jacob holding on to his ankle, even in birth, trying to supplant his brother's birthright. You know, I mean, out of the womb, this guy had an intent to take his brother's birthright. Now, from the study of Genesis, we know that Isaac really loved Esau. He was described as a hunter, a very rugged man, kind of the man's man kind of guy. And Isaac loved him for that. Now, Jacob, on the other hand, was closer to his mother, right? And he's described more of, more of as a rascal, you know, conniving, um, very clever, you know, very different. Now, Esau should have gotten the birthright. Jacob ended up getting the birthright. Now, Esau was the firstborn, and he had every right place of preeminence. Um, but Esau traded his birthright for some food. You know, the Bible says, describes him as one of those who his God was his belly. He valued this food over spiritual things. Jacob, now, he, he definitely deceived his brother, right? And he also deceived his half-blind father. He tricked them both, you know? Uh, no one is saying that, you know, the way he came about it was the right way. It certainly wasn't, but the fact still remains that he accomplished his task. And just in case anybody doubts that this was the case, that this was the predetermined will of God, that Jacob would take, surplant his brother and take the birthright. Uh, let's take a look at Romans chapter nine. And I think it'll clear up any question in your mind that Jacob did accomplish the uh, what he set out to do, and that it was God's will for him to do that. So here we have in Romans chapter 9, starting in verse 11, it says, it's talking about Jacob and Esau. Uh, this is talking about God's predeterminate uh, will, his election, um, that's, that's what's being discussed in this particular part of Romans. In verse 11, it says, For the children, talking about Jacob and Esau, For the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, 
but of him that calleth. It was said unto her, meaning their mother, the elder shall serve the younger. Verse 13, as it is written, this is God saying, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Now there's a lot of controversy about what that actually means. And I'm not going to take up a lot of our time right now to go into that, but it's pretty clear that uh, God told uh, the Sarah, his mother, that the elder would serve the younger, that the elder who should have gotten the birthright would not, but Jacob would get it. So again, we see this contrast. Um, and again, it's in Genesis. And it, like I said, there's a lot of election there. Throughout the book of Genesis, we see these contrasts. Brothers from the same parents that uh, in their lives, they exemplify God's sovereign choice and election. Uh, I think it could be summed up this way. Not Cain, but Abel, right? Or Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. There's that word, but, you know, but is a very significant word because it captures something that God has accomplished. You know, the direction was one way and then but is interjected and something changes. Something very significant. So this world that we live in is divided by God. Uh, we see in Psalm 1, this division. We see Cain and Esau in Psalm 1. Those who are ungodly, the sinners, those who you know, have a purpose that's against God. But in verse 2, we see somebody else. There's a separation we see a division between the ungodly in verse one and what they will to do, their course of life, right? And then we see in verse two now, someone else, you know, God has intervened and that intervention is seen by this word, but. Uh, to see actually who these other people are, these people who are on the other side of that word, but um, these, this other reality, right? Um, I think we can see what happened with that word, but God intervening into the scene and making a change. I think that's seen in Ephesians. So if you wouldn't mind, I know we're kind of jumping around, but this, there's a lot of things that I want you to see. Let's take a look at Ephesians chapter two. Now in Ephesians chapter two, starting in verse one, one through six, we're going to see what God has done to cause that contrast. That word, but is put in there you know, but God, he's done something to allow for us to be able to complete these ABCs, you know, 
he's made a change. So I'm going to just go ahead and read Ephesians chapter 2. And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, where in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. And here we see in verse four, but, but God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ and hath raised us together and made us to sit in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So here we see that big contrast. There's another but, but God. God has intervened and he's done something to accomplish this. And so something has happened. Something has occurred that has given us this ability. So we who are saved, those of us who are delivered by the power of God in the Lord Jesus Christ, the ones who can be called blessed from Psalm 1, who can enjoy this state of being blessed, this joy, uh, we were at one time the ungodly. We were, we were sinners just like the rest. We were scornful. But God, something happened. God intervened and delivered us from this darkness and his death into light. In verse 4 in Ephesians chapter 2, it says, But God, who is rich in mercy. In verse 5, quickened us together with Christ. That's what happened. That's the contrast. That's the, the marvelous thing that has occurred that now gives us the ability to enjoy this blessedness from Psalm 1. We died in the first Adam, but the last Adam, Jesus Christ, came and became the perfect sacrifice and was raised from the dead, uh, proving his power and victory over sin and death and providing evidence to all mankind that the Father accepted his sacrifice. You know, uh, Romans chapter 5. Let's take a look at Romans chapter 5. In Romans 5, 14, it says, Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, right? Even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is a figure of him who was to come. So death came through Adam and it continued. Adam died. Everybody died. They continue dying all the way up to Moses. And the reason Moses is given here as a kind of Ebenezer or marker is because the law came with Moses. But even with the law, the law just pointed back to sin. It made sin more evident. So it didn't fix anything. The law never fixed the problem of death. So death reigned. It continued. 
right? And regardless of the fact that, you know, no one else after Adam sinned in the same way, you know, it doesn't matter. Sin was present and now it has reigned all the way through. The point being through Adam came sin and death, right? But Adam was a figure of him that was to come. So wait a minute, there's some hope there. First Corinthians. And so it is written, the first Adam was made a living soul. The last Adam, the last Adam being Christ, was made a quickening spirit. Okay, so now we're seeing what that but is, what happened, what has changed things. In the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 17, verse 3, and this is, this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. So that's what happened. That's the change here. Jesus Christ, the Father, sent his Son to redeem the elect, those whom he placed his love upon. Not because of anything in them, but so that his purpose in election might stand. This is what's encapsulated in that little word, but, in Psalm 1. It speaks of the work of Jesus Christ in saving men from the eternal separation, uh, the death, the enmity that is in man towards God, right? Romans 5. Let's take a look at Romans chapter 5. To get a little more understanding. 5 verse 8. But God, there it is again, that word but. But God commanded his love towards us. He commended his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, there's the blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. That's what happened. That's this change. That's what took us from being sitting in the seat of the scornful to some other place. Now we're given a new nature. You know, because of the work of Christ, because of what he accomplished, we're given a new nature, a desire for the things of God. Instead of being ungodly and uh, putting, giving priority for God or his word or anything that would be spiritual towards him and the relationship all of that's out the window unless God accomplishes this, unless the Lord Jesus comes and delivers us from that. But now something interesting has happened, okay? Because remember, Psalm 1 didn't start with verse 2. It started with the negative. Well, why is that? If God has done all this, if Jesus has accomplished this, why do we still have the negative? Well, that's the interesting thing is now once a person has been saved, they have two natures. 
we're given a new nature in Christ through God the Holy Spirit. We have a new nature. We're indwelled by God the Holy Spirit. Now we have been quickened. We've been made alive in a way that we were not. We were dead to the things of God. Now we've been quickened and made alive to the things of God. We have that, right? We have that new nature. But we also have an old nature. The old nature doesn't go away. So now we have two natures. We have the new nature. We've been quickened in, in Christ. We have the old nature. The old nature can still walk in the counsel of the ungodly. The old nature can still stand in the way of sinners. And the old nature can still sit in the seat of the scornful. Right? And that is the rub. That's the challenge that we have these two natures now. And uh, that's why the word but is so wonderful. Right? Because we there is a, a battle. You know, we, we, we not only have that old nature, but now we have something else. And now we have this access to this blessed state. Uh, we have a new nature born of God, the Holy Spirit. And to this nature, we have to, you know, fight to walk in that. You know, we have to fight because the world, the flesh... And the devil, that old serpent, wars against us. We have a battle. You know, we have to, we have to put on the whole armor of God. Now, the picture is that we've crossed over the Jordan River. And now we're entering into this, this newness. The, the, the newness that comes with being redeemed, being saved by the Lord Jesus. There's a newness now. but And there's all these spiritual blessings that we have access to now. But we have to take hold of those blessings. And there's a battle involved with that. Right? And so we have to put on the whole armor of God. And we have to commit our way to the Lord Jesus and we have to fight. There's a struggle now. There's a struggle to do what it is that's right. To be able to take hold of this state of blessedness. Right? But it's there. It's ours. We, it's something that we've been given. Uh, and we can take hold of it. And, there, you know, I'm here to exhort you and encourage you to do just that. Take hold of it. Don't let anything keep you from the blessings that God has given us. Okay? They are there. They're yours to take. So... These spiritual blessings have been given to us. They are available to us. And God has given us everything we need to lay hold of this. Um, 
the power, the power and the excellency is of God and not of us. So he has equipped us with everything we need to take hold. We just need to take hold of it. And if let's take a look here to kind of sum this point up. Let's take a look at Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. And I'm going to read it. Uh, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For they uh, for they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. So here we have it. You know, we have this. Uh, this has been accomplished through the, the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. He has done this on our behalf by coming here as a man, um, like us, uh, being touched with all the infirmities that we're touched with, yet without sin. He became the perfect sacrifice for us, those of us who are in the likeness of the first Adam. He became the last Adam, the, the Redeemer, the one that would uh, take us out of this darkness that state that we were in like it said in past times you know we walked after the you know the way of this world and and the lust of the flesh and and just in sin now because of what the lord jesus has done we have access to something else all the spiritual blessings in the heavenlies are now ours we just need to lay hold of them and it's not easy there is a conflict. There is a war because we want to go back to our default, right? That old man. And the whole world is encouraging us to do just that. But we can take courage in, in that the Lord Jesus has conquered the world. <laughs> you know, we can take courage that we now have access to the power, the grace, uh, all that is in the Lord Jesus. Now that we are in Christ, we now have access to all of those spiritual blessings. And we're going to need them. We need them to be able to stay in this place of uh, being blessed, this joy that only comes from God through the Lord Jesus. So there's a lot that comes with this word, but, and I know that we've spent a lot of time on it, but I think it's really important for us to see that it's not just a contrast word. 
there's a lot tied to that. And hopefully uh, in our next study, we'll be able to get into uh, more verse two. Uh, I know we took a lot of time uh, on, on this, this word, but, but I hope you can see why it's important, why we need to, to know where is this power coming from and who we are and what God has done to give us this access to this blessedness. Like that, that word gets, you know, passed around a lot. People say, oh, you know, I'm blessed and you be blessed. And, you know, the, the fact of the matter is there's only one way to accomplish this blessedness. There's only one access route to this blessing. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And there is no other way. And I hope that, you know, this study has affirmed that because that's what the word of God says. In spite of what anybody else says, whatever other counsel anybody might try to give you, this is the truth. This is the way. That's what he says. I am the truth. I'm the way. It, nobody goes unto the father except through me. That's what the Lord Jesus said. And that's what this but is. He accomplished that. So. Um, again, uh, we, we didn't get as far as I would like to have gotten, but I hope that this study has been enlightening, that it encourages you to take hold of all the blessings that we have, the spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus, that it encourages you to, you know, walk by the spirit and to put on the whole armor of God and stand, right? Stand in the truth, you know, not in the way of sinners, but stand in the truth. Don't sit in the seat of the scornful, but be, take hold of being seated in the heavenlies with Christ. We have a hope, a sure hope. And that hope is going to be realized in the Lord Jesus Christ. He has already placed us in the place of safety in the place of alongside him in glory. Now we just need to walk in that truth and he will accomplish it in us. He, what he has begun in us, he will accomplish. There is no doubt. So be encouraged, walk in that truth. Um, Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to study your word. Thank you so much for the Lord Jesus and all that he's done. I, I'm just not uh, adequate to properly convey uh, all that he's done. And uh, I pray, Father, that you, through God, the Holy Spirit, would make up for my or the things that I lack and that you would just uh, speak to our spirit and confirm into us and give us great confidence in the wonderful things that you've uh, done for us and that you have for us and that it would keep us from stumbling, that it would uh, cause us to stand and uh, that we would be pleasing to you and that the end result of all of this would be you, that you would be glorified that you'd be exalted above the heavens. That's our prayer, Father. 
Again, we thank you so much for your word and for what you've shown us. And Father, I pray you'd add a special blessing to this study. It's in Jesus' name we pray.